Notice all the songs this morning just filled with the note of joy. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're going through the four candles of Advent. We've looked at hope and faith and peace, and this morning we consider the topic of joy. Turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 35, I think it's one of the most joy-filled chapters you'll find in all of the Scriptures, let alone uh, all of the Old Testament. As you're finding the text, I have a Christmas quiz for you. Uh, Actually, it's just one question. Uh, See how you do. What will Americans spend over $2 billion on this Christmas? It's not hand sanitizer. It's not paper towels. It's not eggnog. It's definitely not fruitcake. It's Christmas cards. We're going to spend over $2 billion on Christmas cards this year. Now, if you think it's a dying tradition, you need to know that the millennials, age 22 to 38, send out more Christmas cards than any other generation. So it sounds as if it's going to be with us for a long, long time. If you received Christmas cards already, as most of us have, uh, I'm sure you've noticed that the message often carries a note of joy. I mean, how many Christmas cards end with Merry Christmas? But even before that, oftentimes they're filled with joy. I have some examples here this morning for us. Joy to the world. We sang it this morning. Great Christmas carol. Wishing you lots of love, joy, and happiness. There it is. Merry Christmas. Here's another one. Merry and bright. Notes of joy. May the peace and joy of Christmas live in your heart all year long. And of course, Merry Christmas. And then we have something that increases your joy at Christmas. Of course, that slot, hint, hint, is for money. Joy, something to increase your joy, money. Now, we all know that's not particularly true. Joy is not going to increase just because we receive a Christmas card with some money in it. Matter of fact, if we're honest this year, Christmas 2020, Advent 2020, has been a difficult season to actually experience joy. COVID, political unrest, turmoil in our cities, travel bans, not being able to see loved ones. So how do we experience fresh joy? Well, thankfully, uh, joy is not found in a season. Joy is not found in a card. Joy is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. And joy is found in a kingdom, a rule and reign of grace that Jesus brings. And both of those elements of joy are found in Isaiah 35. Let me set the stage of where uh, Isaiah has been. Uh, It's about 740, 750 B.C. And Isaiah, in the first 34 chapters, has been talking about how God's discipline is going to be poured out on the nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes, with Samaria as the capital, and the southern nation of Judah, two tribes, 
with Jerusalem as the capital. But the northern tribes are going to fall first. The Assyrians are rattling their sabers against Israel and Judah, but Israel's going to fall. And then Isaiah prophesies that in 200 more years, 586 B.C., the Babylonians are going to take the southern two tribes of Judah into captivity, into exile. But when we come to Isaiah 35, there's a complete change of tone from discipline to grace. And of course, there's also, if we're honest, the grace of discipline, because God disciplines those whom He loves. But the tone in Isaiah 35 is that God's grace is greater than all our sin. And Isaiah uses the language of the Exodus. You remember what the Exodus was. The people of Israel enslaved in Egypt, in bondage, uh, having to do hard work for no pay, the driven hard. And God raises up Moses and he delivers Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Well, Isaiah uses the Exodus, and and no miracle of God is spoken of more in Scripture than the Exodus. The Old Testament and the New Testament refer back to it again and again and again. And Isaiah presents with us three fresh experiences of joy through a new Exodus. Actually, three new elements of an Exodus. The first Exodus that Isaiah is writing about is the exodus of Judah out of Babylon as they return from exile and go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Then there's a second new exodus that occurs in 4 BC when Jesus is born, God incarnate. And he doesn't merely deliver us from a nation, but he delivers us in our own personal spiritual exodus out of slavery to sin and shame and guilt and condemnation. And then there is a third exodus that brings a fresh experience of joy that Isaiah 35 talks about. And that is the final exodus. When at the return of Christ, those who know Him will return to the new Jerusalem and all the blessings of Christ that we have yearned for in their fullness will be completely ours. This is one of the most joy-filled chapters in all of Scripture, and it offers you fresh joy. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word and follow along as I read Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. This is God's Word. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. And make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, 
with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. And He wants us to experience joy everlasting, beginning in the here and now. Let's pray. God, we need a fresh shot of joy. And God, we need to know where to find it. And so show us this morning how the first and second comings of Christ relates to you enabling us to obtain all joy. God, we pray for those especially who are sad or discouraged or defeated or feeling particularly broken this Christmas and that you'd fill us all with fresh joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, Merry Christmas is actually a very appropriate Christmas greeting for those who know Jesus. Luke chapter 2, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Three fresh experiences of joy that God promises us in Christ. First of all, experience joy in abundant blessing. Look at verse 1. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. Now, clearly, wilderness and deserts don't experience emotion. So this is not to be taken literally. This is poetic. This is symbolic. This is the use of metaphor. And Isaiah is, in a sense, running out of words that he can use that would paint the picture of the abundance of blessings that is offered to us in Christ. So Isaiah uses the wilderness and the desert of the first exodus, where Israel wandered for 40 years. And he has this desert singing and shouting and rejoicing. In other words, the blessings that are ours in Christ are so great and so wonderful 
that if we don't praise God for them, the desert and the wilderness and the rocks will cry out in joy. Now, we need to realize that there's a great reversal from curse to blessing going on here. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell into sin and creation fell with us as well, God said, Cursed is the land because of you. By the sweat of your brow, you will work it. That's why work is work these days. In the new Jerusalem, we'll have work, and it will be nothing but a delight and a fulfillment because the land is cursed because of the fall. But God speaks through Isaiah of a day when the land will no longer be cursed, and yet he's not primarily talking about the land. He's using the land to sing for joy to point us to the abundance of blessings that are promised us for our joy in Christ. And that joy never fades away. Look at verse 1. The desert shall rejoice. Again, do deserts rejoice? Of course not. It's poetic. It's metaphor. And blossom like the crocus. The crocus is from the iris family. And uh, they're colorful in the Middle East. They're purple, they're blue, they're orange, they're red. And Isaiah is telling us that in Christ we will be blessed with such abundance that our souls and hearts will be filled with life and vibrancy and enthusiasm. Verse 2, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. Given to what? The land. But he's not primarily concerned about the land. Lebanon was known for its lush, green vegetation. And God is saying through Isaiah that in Christ, during the exodus that he brings from sin, we will pass from death to life. And then he's saying that at the second advent, Everything that we are blessed with in part now, we will experience to the full. Why? What's so different? What's the difference between the first exodus and the second exodus? Well, verse 2 tells us, they shall see the glory of the Lord. Now, Israel saw the glory of the Lord at the first exodus. They saw the pillar of fire. They saw the cloud. They saw Moses speak to God in the tabernacle. They saw the glory, but the glory they see at the second exodus, the incarnation of Christ, when we're removed out of slavery to sin, we will see Jesus. They saw Jesus. They anticipated Messiah. And as we walk with Christ, we experience fresh joy due to the blessings of God. What are some of the blessings that are ours in Christ through the exodus that he brings. First of all, Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Well, that about says it all. Anything you can imagine that is blessing, anything that you can imagine it's favor or grace, it's all given to us in Christ. We're loved by God. We're protected by God. We're delighted in by God. 
These aren't things that we earn. These are blessings that are ours in Christ. God protects you. He cares for you. He sees you. He hears you. Not like Santa Claus, checking whether you've been naughty or nice, but simply because He is good. He is gracious. He decides to bless. He is faithful. If, if this grips our lives, how could we experience anything but joy to realize that we dwell under a friendly sky? To realize that God delights in nothing more than pouring out His favor upon our lives. Then Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 talks about the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in Christ. If you remember the first Exodus, there was manna given for food. And the manna was just enough for one day. That's it. If you tried to take more, it stunk. But the manna of the new and better Moses, of the second Exodus, is abundant. There's no end. The riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. If you know Christ, you walk in lavish favor all the time. Look, even at your worst moments, you are lavished with grace. God is so lavish in His grace that you're never beyond the reach of it. And yet we are so broken that we're never beyond the need of it. Experience joy through abundant blessings. Joy that is unaffected by circumstances. I got a kick uh, yesterday uh, reading the paper uh, that the Prime Minister of England said they're going to cancel Christmas. What a Grinch. First of all, you can't cancel Christmas. Christmas has happened 2,000 years ago. And Christmas is coming whether we cancel restaurant reservations, whether we, whether we tell people cannot travel, whether we go house to house and check how many people are in it. You can't cancel Christmas. And yet, there are Grinches this year like COVID and other things that are threatening to steal your joy. And they can't unless you let them. But if you reflect and meditate upon the blessings that are ours in Christ, your joy will be full. Experience joy in abundant blessings. Secondly, experience joy in supernatural healing. Isaiah continues to use poetic language and metaphor to teach us about the healing power of Christ and the gospel in our lives. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hand and make firm the feeble knees. We're reminded here that we are in fact broken. The reason why we wrestle with joy is not merely because of circumstances, it's because we're broken. Sin has broken us in every conceivable realm of the human life and the human body. Our thoughts are broken. We have damaged thinking. Our understanding is darkened. And only grace 
in Christ can heal that. Our emotions are damaged and we don't feel the things we ought to feel. And we often feel things that we don't need to feel, that are false feelings of shame or guilt or condemnation. Our emotions are broken, and we need to remember that. Our desires are broken. We, we desire things that, that really aren't what we need and what we were made for. Our desires are distorted and deceitful. And our, our choices are broken as well. And we make wrong choices. We need to experience healing in every part of our human life. Our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, and our choices. And using poetic language, God promises supernatural healing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. We're reminded that in Christ we are promised salvation. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. That, that word save is often used to refer to healing. Spiritual healing physical healing, mental healing, psychological healing, any kind of healing you can think of, we are promised it in Christ. Now, not completely until the second coming when all of the blessings and all of the healing will be ours in fullness. However, we are to expect as we rest in God's grace that the power of Christ will be released in our lives to heal our broken hearts and soothe our sometimes sad souls. Look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. If you know Jesus Christ, you've already experienced that healing. Because we are born blind spiritually, and we are born deaf spiritually. We cannot see, and we cannot hear, and no physical operation on this planet can do anything to make us see. Only the grace of God opens our eyes and unblocks our ears, takes out that unbelieving heart, and replaces it with a heart that hopes and trusts in Christ. Have you had your eyes opened to Jesus Messiah? Have you had your ears opened to hear the weight of your sin? Have you had your heart changed so that you know there's nothing you can do to save yourself, deliver yourself, redeem yourself, restore yourself, reform yourself? That all we can do is transfer our trust from self, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, religiosity, and trust in the finished work of Christ alone, adding nothing of our own contribution to our redemption. If we've transferred our trust, our eyes have already been opened and our ears have already been unblocked. And that's just the beginning of a lifetime of healing 
mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, that God promises us. Verse 6, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. When Jesus helps us participate in the new exodus, we are transformed day by day by the power of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of grace enabling us to experience supernatural transformation and healing. Then look at verse 6. We see he goes back to the poetic use of creation again. For the waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You see how much more abundant grace there is in the new exodus than the first exodus? In the first exodus, you, you had... Uh, a trickle of water from a rock. There was no other water. But in the new Exodus, Jesus brings rivers of living water. And they stream life into our thirsty souls. In verse 7, you see the haunt of jackals. That's what the first exodus involved. It was wilderness. It was wasteland. You only find jackals lying down in devastated wasteland. They're scavengers. They're predators. And where our hearts were ravaged by the scavenger sin and the predator Satan, Isaiah talks of a day where they'll be completely gone. God begins to rid us of our enemies now. But one day we will be completely free. We are promised Eden all over again. But this time, never to leave it. You've heard the nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty. Got a little graphic here. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. We have all experienced this. This isn't just a nursery rhyme. We are born as broken Humpty Dumpties. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how many counselors we go to, no matter how many psychiatrists we see, not that there's anything wrong with seeing those folks, they don't have the power of healing. Only Jesus does. And all the king's horses and all the king's men can't do anything to put you back together again. But Jesus can. And he does. And he will. And that is the ground of our joy this Christmas. And then thirdly and finally, we also experience joy in eternal redemption. Abundant blessing, supernatural healing, and eternal redemption. The redemption that Christ brings us, the exodus that he brings us through, is eternal. It's not temporary. How many times did Israel go back to slavery? How many times did Israel say, oh, we could go back to Egypt again? But when Christ redeems a life, he redeems it eternally. That's not saying there won't be ups and downs. That's not saying there won't be times uh, when we feel like running away like, like Israel did. But our salvation that begins in this life is secure and eternal. Look at verse 8. 
a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. Now think about deserts. Think about what you've seen in the Sahara Desert and all the sand dunes. And just sand, sand everywhere. You know, people have been known to die in the Sahara Desert because they lost their way. They didn't have their GPS. They ended up going round in large circles, and their tracks were always covered by the sand that was being blown by the wind. And they went round in circles till they died. See, you don't find roads in deserts. But in this wasteland of earth, God has made a way of holiness. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. As we abide in Jesus, he will always get us home. As a matter of fact, even at times when we fail to abide in Jesus, we need to recognize at those times, he will still get us home. Look at verse 8. Even if they are fools, right? Fools, simpletons, people that that do the absolute wrong thing. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Now, again, Paul is using poetry. There aren't going to be any fools on the highway of holiness, only redeemed and ransomed people. But, but Isaiah is using poetry to say, think of a fool who's always going in the wrong direction, who never has their GPS on, who's always getting lost, God says in this time of blessing in Christ the Messiah, even a fool won't get off the path. Why? Because Jesus keeps us on the path. You don't know how many times I have people come to me fearful that they've committed the unforgivable sin or that they're not going to make it all the way to the new Jerusalem. They're not going to make it to heaven. They're not sure they believe anymore. And And how they get comforted when they hear. Just keep looking to Jesus. Stop looking at your faith. Stop looking at the amount of your faith. Stop looking at your doubt. Stop looking at your unbelief. But instead, just keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Stop looking at your life. Just focus on Jesus. And you know what happens? You look at Jesus, your faith goes up. You know what happens when you look at Jesus? Your life changes. Keep your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the one who's redeemed you. He has ransomed you, verses 9 and 10. Sin kidnapped us. Satan kidnapped us. And he demands, and it demands, an infinite ransom, one that no human being could ever offer. But Jesus was man, so he could offer the payment for man, and he was also God. So he could offer an infinite ransom. He offered his life. Jesus was born to die, to rise, to ascend, to come again and set up the kingdom. And if we keep our eyes focused on him, we understand that we are the redeemed and the ransomed. And look at the result. Verse 9. No lion nor any ravenous beast shall come up on the way. In other words, evil will be completely conquered in your life. Do you hear me? I don't know what you're experiencing right now. I can tell you that I often experience temptation on a daily basis. One day, it'll all be gone. There'll be no lion. There'll there'll be no ravenous animals coming after us. We'll be completely free at peace and enjoy. Look at verse 10. There's not a better summation than this. 
Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. What has been so elusive in this life will finally be ours, ultimately and infinitely. But God wants us to know even in the here and now, He offers us fresh experiences of joy. Verse 10, sorrow and sighing shall flee away like scared enemies turning their tails and running in retreat. Everything that affects your joy will one day be gone. And all you'll have is Jesus who grants you a joy that you never dreamed possible. It's been a crazy Advent. It's been a crazy year. But you know, there's, there's one group of people that seem pretty much oblivious to the whole thing. I mean, it's affected them, but they're just as excited about Christmas. They're, they're, they're still can hardly contain themselves. And I'm talking about kids, little kids, right? I mean, after all the stuff we've been through as adults, they're basically clueless. And they're just looking forward to Christmas. How many times did Jesus say that we need to become like children? Perhaps never before do we need to become more like children than this Christmas and to recognize that in spite of everything that's swirling around us, not one of those things impacts the abundance of the blessings that we have in Christ. No matter how much COVID is going around or whether we die of it, Jesus Christ wants us to find joy in the promise of supernatural healing. And then Jesus wants to be secure. He wants us to be secure in everlasting redemption. And those, in fact, are the symbols and signs that the elements of the Lord's Supper present to us. The night on which Christ was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it. And He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. We believe that when we come to this table, we are not merely ingesting bread, and we're not merely ingesting the fruit of the vine, although they remain unchanged as far as elements, we believe that God uses our faith and repentance at this table through this sacramental act to actually bring spiritual nourishment, blessing abundantly, supernatural healing in Christ, and even assurance and joy that we are the redeemed and the ransomed. Let's pray. God, thank you for these elements. We know that uh, they remain bread and the fruit of the vine, but we also know that you use them supernaturally to pour out into our lives by faith and repentance, abundant blessing, supernatural healing, and a greater experience of redemption and ransom. God, Nourish us now in Jesus' name. Amen.